This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Now I'm going to read something to you out of the Passion before we get going today. Actually, as an intro. Um, I'm going to read it from Romans chapter 6. And I might actually be able to see it without my glasses. Good grief, this font is getting smaller. If you haven't read Romans chapter 6, go and read that chapter. Oh, no, no, wait, don't, don't go away anyway. Just leave it up there. Go and read that chapter. It's a really good chapter. Read it from the beginning and read it in the Passion and then read it in the New King James. But it's, it's, it's a really, it's a powerful chapter. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice he died to sin's power once and for all, but he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. Sin is a dethroned monarch. So you must no longer give it the opportunity to rule over your life, controlling, you, controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. So then refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to him as one who now experienced resurrection life. You live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his noble purposes. Remember this, sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. What, we are, what are we to do then? Should we, sin our heart's content? Should we sin to our heart's content, since there's no law to condemn us anymore? What a terrible thought. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? But choose carefully, for you surrender yourself for who you surrender yourself to become. Bleh, sorry, but choose carefully, for you surrender yourself to become a servant bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, you will become your. It will become your master, and it will own you and reward you with death. But if you choose to love and obey God, He will lead you into perfect righteousness. And thanks be to God, for in the past you were servants of sin, but now your obedience is heart deep, and your life is being molded by truth through the teaching you are devoted to. And now you celebrate your freedom from your former master, sin. You've left its bondage, and now God's perfect righteousness holds power over you as his loving servant. Oh, that's right, it was up to 18. Um, there are a few things in there that I kind of want to start playing with a little bit. And one of the things that I, I want to, to, to start kicking around is the idea that we don't recognize the fact that we are servants to something. We are servants to something. We are slaves to something. And let me explain to you what, why he's talking about that. If you go back to creation when God created man, God created man of the dust of the earth. He created man's being, and man's being was down there. But 
what he did was he breathed into man the breath of life and he put into man his spirit and his nature. Man was to live from that spirit and nature. The thing about it was man, because he was informed by spirit and nature of God, gave expression to that. The point is this. We were built to give expression to the essence that defines us. And the challenge with it is we're dealing with a spiritual dynamic. So when we're in relationship with God, what ends up happening is we have the nature of God on the inside of us. And when you have the nature of God on the inside of us, we have an opportunity for that to define who we are. But when we don't have that nature, when we have a sin nature, what ends up happening is I am a slave to sin. And I end up having to do a whole bunch of that stuff because I can't escape it. I am nothing more than an expression of what's alive on the inside of who I am. So that's really what I want to explore in a little more depth today and talk about because I think part of the challenge that we have as Christians is that God is so good and we know so much about his blessings and his promises and what he wants for us and what he's inviting us into and yet we struggle so many times because I find that my reality and the place in which I find myself is disconnected from where I believe that I should be as a Christian. Has anybody ever been there? Okay, well, I have. (laughs) So I'm speaking to myself. That's yeah, a good idea. Don't put hands up today. Keep your hands down. <laughs> it's, like, it's just you nudge, your, nudge your wife or something. So I've got tools. I've got tools sitting in my garage that I have to use. And I'm talking about mechanical tools. So I've got a blower, and I've got a weed eater, and I've got a chainsaw. Actually, this one doesn't... I've, my, my father-in-law gave me the best chainsaw. It's a battery-operated chainsaw. It's the best toy ever. If you need anything cut down, just call me, because I just love playing with it. I'll, I'll come and chop it down for you in little pieces. But I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about mechanical tools. Mechanical tools. Mechanical tools were built with a purpose. Every one of them was built for a reason. The blower is to blow. The weed eater is out there to chop it up and clean it up and make it look good and get rid of all the weeds and the edges. Everything is with a purpose. The problem with it is it's all sitting in there in the garage and none of it is functional. Not a single bit of it can do one bit of its purpose until I take something called fuel and put it on the inside of it. When I put fuel on the inside of it, all of a sudden, purpose comes to life. Because it's been ignited by something on the inside which gives it the power to be able to realize what it's meant to be. When God created man, God took the dust of the earth and he created man's form in the way that man should be. But man was useless in that context. Because all he was, was a form. He was a tool lying on the floor of the garage. He never had any power or essence on the inside of him. And so it says that God took man, he took the tool, and he breathed into man. And what he put into man was his spirit and life. And when he breathed into man, he breathed into man his very nature. Remember this in all of your dealings with God. God doesn't do things through what you're capable of doing. The Spirit will always breathe life into you. 
If you want to meet God at a place, if you're looking for God to intervene in a situation in your life, the Holy Spirit is going to breathe life into that. It doesn't come about because of our hard work. It doesn't come about for anything else but reliance and dependence on the Holy Spirit to take the life of God and to bring it to life in those situations. He breathed into man. And when he breathed into man, Adam came alive and he became a living being. And what ended up happening, it says, man was created in God's image to reflect his likeness. Man was created in God's image to reflect his likeness. When we talk about image, we're talking about the essence of who man was. The essence that defined who he was spiritually was God. Reflecting his likeness became an, a, a, evidenced as his reality. When he lived from the essence of God, his reality was defined by that. It becomes important because when we start talking about people, what we begin to recognize and understand is what makes man um, significant is the fact that man's existence is defined by a living reality. Man's existence is defined by a living reality. What does your reality look like today? What does your reality look like today? When Adam started to live and move and have his being, he lived from the life of God that was on the inside of him. He never went to a place where he went outside of himself to get definition and understanding about the world and life. He went to the inside of him. He went to God. And what happened was God began to share ideas with him. God began to speak with him about who he was. God began to speak to him about what it was that he was to do. God was presented ideas and opportunities to him. God not only presented those things to him, but God infused him with the confidence to be able to go out and do it. Sometimes we know what we should be doing, but there is a disconnect because although I know I should be doing this, I don't have the confidence on the inside of me to be able to do something like that. Adam never had that. There was no disconnect between Adam and his reality. When Adam lived from God being on the inside of him, he had within him a reality. He had vision. He had ideas. He had spontaneity. And as a result of that, he also had imparted to him the confidence to be able to go out and do that. What ended up happening was he developed a relationship where his trust in God was as a result of his confidence in who he was. Every time he invited me to do something, every time he showed me something new, every time he gave me an idea and he invited me to experience that and I moved into that arena, he came through for me. And what ended up happening is my confidence, his confidence in God, sorry, his trust in God as a result of his confidence in God meant that he went places with God. Because he developed a lifestyle where he started recommend, uh, realizing that in order for me to move forward in life, I need to go back to who God is. Let me go and speak to him about what I should be doing here, what I should be walking into, what I should be realizing. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you know what it's an invitation to? You're not just a natural being, but you're a spiritual being. And what God is saying is this. The way that you move forward in life is by recognizing the significance and the importance of coming to me with everything. I go back to him. Why? Because when he speaks, something happens. When he speaks, there is something that is imparted to me which transcends just an idea or a knowledge or or, or a concept of what he's looking for. But what's imparted to me is something called faith. When Adam lived in communion with the life that was on the inside of him, what God did was he said, I'm going to give you a substance to build your future. Hold on. This is annoying me. God said, I'm going to give you a substance to build your future on. What was the substance? Faith. When he went back to God and he said, what happens here? He said, I want you to name them all. Where do I go with this God? God began to speak to him. God began to impart to him. God gave him stuff. Every time God speaks, what ends up happening is that there is an impartation that takes place. And I receive something from him. God's faith is not just sitting saying, let me tell you my dream for your life. What he's saying is you have to understand the nature that defines who you are. And that which is alive on the inside of you is not only there to give you a vision and a hope for what your future is, but it's there to make sure that the power is going to make sure that it comes to, buy, to, to pass. We live from a reality that's on the inside of us. Adam Adam's ideas, Adam's thinking, Adam's feeling, Adam's decisions. The fruit of Adam's life was all as a result of living from an inner, rea- uh, an inner essence, which was God. It created a reality in his life where he gave expression to the things of God. Fuel is dangerous. I can't use fuel, I have to use gas, right? Gas is dangerous. And not for the reasons you think. Gas is dangerous because it's got corn in it. You didn't expect that, did you? Ethanol! Ethanol is the scourge of anything mechanical. You put ethanol fuel in there, and you know what? It says it's just 10%. It's like faith. It just needs a grain of a mustard seed and it ruins everything. You put ethanol in there. And the worst thing is, you know what? Over time, you leave it for the winter and you go and get the stuff out in the summer. And you pulling and you pushing. And there's, there's the odd word that slips out here and there. But you know what happens? Nothing. You know why? Because ethanol got into the motor and it's in all the little parts and it gunges everything up and it doesn't work. Ethanol is of the devil. (laughs) It's hideous. It just ruins everything. You see, man mucked everything up. Because you know what ended up happening? 
we decided we're going to run on ethanol. And so Adam made a decision one day and he said, you know what? I'll tell you what's so attractive and appealing to me. I can be like God. I'm going to decide what my future looks like. I'm going to determine what things are going to be like. And you know what he did? He stepped outside of God's involvement. He stepped outside of God's nature and he took control. And what he did is in that very moment, the life of God left him and he was left to his own devices to redefine what constituted his essence. But there was no other option. There's only God or sin. And with God gone, all Adam could do is look at the world around about him. And he will start to get ideas about who I am. Where did it come from? The God of the world. That's why self is so dangerous. Because you know what? Self gets a definition of who I am. Not from him, but from my world. God says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. What he's saying is this. Anytime you go to the world to get an idea of who you are, you're asking the enemy. That was the problem. The reason that self was so bad is because Adam walked into that space and he said, I'm going to move into an arena of self-awareness. Who am I? We have no clue who we are. Really what we do is we use our experience and our history and our contacts and our self-concept and our achievements or lack of achievements and failures and everything to give us definition as to who we are. We're becoming conformists. The self is so dangerous. I'm self-actualized. I'm beginning to realize who I am. We don't realize who we are. We have a distorted view of who I am. My self-concept is twisted. So what ends up happening is I start looking for self-fulfillment. I can make myself happy. I can do those things. And I start moving down paths and entertaining ideas and moving into avenues that are looking for self-fulfillment because I believe that I can be the master of my destiny only to discover that it doesn't give me what I'm looking for. I can be self-sufficient. What it really means is I can rely on myself to make things happen the way that I want. I can rely on myself for my future to be defined by me and my influence. You see, what ends up happening is I'm living from the world's paradigm. I'm living from the paradigm of self. Self is dangerous because what motivates, the mechanism that motivates the, the whole kingdom of self is pride. Pride says it's all about you and what you can do. It's all about you and your life. It's all about you and your achievement. It's all about you and your self-actualized person. It's all about you and your self-confidence. It's all about me. That's why God has such disdain for pride. Because pride is something that defines the kingdom of self. You see, the thing about it is, if you look at the kingdom of God, the mechanism for power in the kingdom of God is humility. Because what humility does is, humility comes to a place where it says, I can't do it in myself. I can't save myself. 
I can't heal myself. I can't get myself out of this fear. I can't get myself out of this worry. I can't get myself to where I want to be. I'm dependent on you. 1 Peter 5, 5 says that God has no time for the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What is he talking about? He's saying, you're stuck in the wrong kingdom. You're using the wrong mechanism. Anytime you embrace pride, what you're saying is, I don't need you, God. I can do it by myself. I can realize it independently of you. But when we approach it from a humility perspective, what we're saying is, God, I recognize the limitations of who I am. If it wasn't for Jesus and what he did for me, I'd never be able to realize the fullness of this. I'd never be able to realize the blessing. I'd never be able to realize your provision. I'd never be able to realize your healing. I'd never be able to realize the life that you've provided for me. Humility recognizes everything that I have comes from him. Everything I have comes from him. Good grief. Sorry, today is all over the place. God is saying this. You know what? He's wanting us to know him. When he put his life into Adam, he put his life into Adam and the essence of who he was created a being that lived and expressed the likeness of God. He became a dominion figure. But the subject was not being a dominion figure. The subject was enjoying the life of God. The result was being a dominion figure. You see, sometimes we're looking for God's provision in things rather than looking for the provider. We're looking for what God can do for me and we're looking for the good life and we're looking for the abundant life and we're looking for the blessed life. And many of the things that we're looking for in life are very legitimate. We, we have some, some real concerns and issues and challenges in our life. Things that we're looking for are, are very realistic. The problem with it is we're looking for the provision rather than the provider. And what God's wanting us to always know is this. The essence of who we are is Him. The reason that He put that in there is because He doesn't want you to know about Him. He wants you to experience His love for you. And the way that you experience, you experience his love for you is when you live from that place and what ends up happening is the essence of who he is defines the reality that I begin to live. I can live out of enjoyment of who he is. If I know about him, it'll never take me into that paradigm. Excuse me. It'll never take me into that arena. I have to have his life and his essence on the inside of me. And so it becomes so important for us to begin learning how we can partner with the life of God on the inside of us and how we can live from that place. The thing about it is this. I got rid of the ethanol fuel. We have one little gas station in Warrington. And I can tell you one of the best things about Warrington is this. It sells non-ethanol fuel. <laughs> I go down with my little containers and I fill them up with non-ethanol fuel. And I brought back my non-ethanol fuel and I put it in to all of my equipment. And you know what happened? No. It didn't work. And I didn't understand. And I was like, how could this be? I've got rid of the junk I've put in the non-ethanol fuel, but it's still not starting. 
See, the problem was this. I got rid of the fuel. I replaced the fuel in the tank. The challenge with it was that all of that equipment had been running off the ethanol for so long that it had got into all of the equipment. And it was gunked up in the little pieces. It's what happens to us in our life when we become born again. You see, we live off ethanol fuel for a while. And what ends up happening is, after a period of time, we begin to recognize, you know what, this is not fulfilling. There's more to life than this. And I'm looking for the person of Christ, and I discover him. The challenge is that I've been living off my ethanol fuel for so long that it's given definition to so much of the way that I think and so much of the way that I see life and so much of my approach to things. And it's set a platform of which I'm beginning to live. And I have been living for an extended period of time. So I have Christ's nature that comes on the inside of me. And I'm so excited because he comes in with his promises and his life and his light and his love and everything that he offers us. But I'm stuck in gunk. I'm stuck in gunk. And I'm like, but how can this be? I've got the life of God on the inside of me. So the title of my message today is this. Dying. The best thing that ever happened to me. You see, the thing about it is this. Why were we created? We were created because he loved us so much that he wanted us to know his love. He put his life on the inside of us, the essence of our being. And as we lived from that space, what ended up happening is it began to inform my reality. And I love God. Why? Because he's so enjoyable. I walk into dimensions where I'm able to have influence. I walk into spaces where, you know what, things aren't always the way that I imagined. But you don't have to worry. It's okay. He'll take care of it. You walk into spaces where you sit and think, I don't know what could happen here. But he arrives and something begins to move. He touches people. He changes situations. He changes circumstances. And you you sit back and you go, you know why? Because he loves you. And he wants you to know it. So it becomes really important for us to be people who, where our realities begin to reflect the essence of who he is. Why? Because what he's saying is, when you walk into that, you experience my love for you. You don't just know about it. John chapter, um, John chapter 5 verse 8, I think it is. What is it? Microphone and glasses and papers and everything. Good grief. Yes, there you go. John chapter 15, verse 8. It says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be, actually the, the better translation is, so you will prove that you are my disciples. What he's saying is this. I want you to bear fruit. What he's saying is, I want you to be a fruit bearer. There's the purpose of your life. Why? Because he, that's how we experience who he is. It's all very well sitting saying, well, I praise God and he's up in the heavenlies and he's so spiritual and he's, all of those things are true. But understand this, he loves you. He doesn't love you to sit and say, well, you just go through earth and whatever and you know, in the sweet by and by, I'll see you in heaven. Meet you at the pearlies. 
He wants you to know Him. Every day He wants to be an intimate part of the decision making of your life. Of the way that you think about things. Of the way that you approach things. Of the way that you walk into circumstances and situations. Because I realize who He is and I know His love for me. By fruit! Ephesians 2 verse 20 says that you were created in Christ Jesus to bear good fruit. What he's saying is this. The way that we create fruit is the essence of who we are. Fruit is our reality that we live. Christ and being, being made in the image of Christ is really the, the uh, essence of who we are. He's talking about how we live and he's talking about what creates that. He's talking about the reality that we live and the essence on the inside of us, which is Christ. Yay. He goes on from there, and in 15 verse 5, he talks about the fact that he is the vine, we are the branches. If I am in you and you are in me, you will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. That is the most important phrase right there. For without me, you can do nothing. If you remember that in the forefront of everything, it will put you in the place where you will never step into the self-life again. Because it's the antithesis to that. What he's saying in that, in that, that little phrase right there is, I am everything. If you want to be a fruit bearer, everything is dependent on me. Everything is about who he is. And so we have to have Christ in that. Do you, do you know there's a difference between a goal and a destiny? You see, a goal is a desired um, outcome that you're working towards. That's a goal. Okay? A destiny is a predetermined, predetermined des- uh, um, outcome that you step into. There's a big difference. A goal is something you're going to work towards. A goal is a desired result that you're looking to achieve. And so I'm working towards this goal. Too many Christians are goal-oriented. I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to be more spiritual. I'm trying to move into the things of God. I'm trying to realize a better life. I'm trying to step into all of this. We goal-oriented. But God never called you to be goal-oriented. He needed you. He wants you to understand that you have a destiny. Destiny is different because destiny is foreordained. It's predetermined. And I don't create my destiny. I step into my destiny. It's a big difference. Romans chapter 8. If I can find it, Rafa. I don't know where it is. It's just somewhere. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew. Did he knew you before you were born? Okay, put your name in there, okay? He knew Gavin before he was born. And he predestined me to be conformed to the image of his son. What he's saying is this. Jesus did the work. You don't need a goal. You have a destiny. You don't need to work to achieve anything in the kingdom. What he wants you to know is anytime you're trying to achieve a goal, you're trying to do some self, some stuff in self. He's saying, stop being so proud. You're never going to walk into it. You can't achieve it. You can't realize it. You'll never step into the blessings of it. And you're trying so hard and you think you're frustrated. Yeah. 
The Holy Spirit's pulling his hair out. Will you let go of things and come to the place where you recognize that you are not Christ? Is there any Christ out there? You are not Christ. He was the victor. He was the overcomer. The reason that he gets to have the prerogative of defining those things for you is because he is King of kings and Lord of lords. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He gets to do that, not me. I cannot step into that place where I start moving into a goal because I'm not worthy of that. When I try to do things, what I'm saying to Jesus is, the price you paid was good, but check my effort out. That's what we're saying. He wants us to come to the place where we recognize we can't do it. It's about him. Whom he foreknew, he preordained. You step into your destiny, which means, Jesus, what does this look like? Holy Spirit, what does this look like? How do I step into something like that? It's not about what you know. It's about what you're becoming. Ibuprofen. Ibuprofen is a non-steroidal something or other. Anti-inflammatory, that's it, yeah. A non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, what it really does is it works on your body to get rid of all of the things that create inflammation and pain and so that you can feel it so much better. And you know what the thing is? So if you really have got like a bad headache (laughs) or if your back's in a bad way, If you came to me and I said, now let me tell you everything you need to know about ibuprofen. And you left there, would you feel any better? It's not what you know about it that changes you. It's when it becomes a part of who you are. Sometimes you don't need to know everything. All you need to know is, Father, you know what? I want that to be a part of who I am. Give me redefinition. I want to step into something new because I want you as being a part of my, the essence of who I am. Not what I know. It needs to define who we are because when it begins to define who we are, what ends up happening is it begins to inform the reality of my life. Do you know why people become addicted to drugs? It's not because of what they know about the drugs. It's because of their enjoyment of the drugs. You know what makes passionate Christians? Not people who know about Christ, but people who live from their enjoyment of Christ. When I move to that place of Christ on the inside of who I am, and he's having definition and influence in every day of my life, it changes things. I become passionate because should I tell you what he did yesterday? Imagine what he could do tomorrow. Somehow, As a result of the self-life, we always have a tendency to elevate the importance and the significance of my thought and my thinking. 
We do it even spiritually. Because belief is of the mind. We confuse belief and faith. We think if I can believe really hard enough, I'll get what God wants for me. But faith is not of us. Faith is of him. Unless you go to him and he gives you something, you don't have faith. You have belief. The point about it is this. We have wonderful senses. Ah, My sense of smell. I love it. Vivi's got into baking. It's dangerous. (laughs) It's dangerous. Why? Because you go into the kitchen and you go, oh, those muffins smell so good. Just come out of the oven. And you can smell them. And it's so exciting and it's so nice. And you look at them and they're like calling your name. You can hear them. Have you ever noticed they call you by name? (laughs) The point that I want to make is this. It doesn't matter what you think or what ideas you have. You don't get to manage your senses in any way as a result of your intellect. You cannot get more sight because you change some ideas about your thinking. You cannot get less smell because you change your ideas. It doesn't affect it in the least. It's the same thing with spiritual issues. Somehow we think that we can change things spiritually if we have a knowledge base of things. But we can't. We don't get to change that stuff. So what do we do? I'm glad you asked. Matthew, chapter 13, verse 44. It starts to tell us the parable of the treasure in the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. We need the letter of the, of the law, and we need the spirit of the law. Both things play an important role and are significant for different reasons. The letter is when you open the Bible and you begin to read. So what the letter does is it tells us about a treasure that exists. It tells us about where the treasure is to be found. And it tells us about a treasure that we really desire. You can read all of that stuff and be like, this is really cool treasure. But we only start to take possession of the treasure when we sell all that we have and go and buy the field. He's talking about dying to self. If you have a look at Luke chapter 9 verse 23, it says, Then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He's talking about dying to self. Now, there's so much that's out there about dying to self and so many different messages about dying to self. So I'm going to tell you what I think about dying to self and you go and sit with the Holy Spirit and go from there. Okay, so we were reading in Romans chapter 6 that you have been crucified with Christ and that you are no longer, it's no longer you who who exists, but Christ who exists. Here's the paraphrased version. If you go and read the whole chapter, that's what it's about. You know what the wonderful news is about that? is that you've already died. You see, the challenge is this. You think you can kill yourself, but you really can't. Try it. 
have a fear of heights. Terrified of heights. I'm fearful of heights. And you sit with the person and you say to them, you know that's an irrational fear. If you go up in the building, you know you'll be fine. And they, they agree. And you understand that the building's not going to fall down. Yes, I agree. And you know if you go to the edge and you look out, you're not going to fall over. Yes, I agree. It's okay to do those things. Do you want to try it? No. <laughs> Why? Because you're dealing with something, the nature of which your intellect has no influence over. You're dealing with an, a, a, a composite called fear. So you're trying to rationalize fear, but it's a spiritual entity. So the problem with it is, I can't change it. And the thing about it is, you can't kill it either. You try and kill fear. Try. Try and kill worry in your life. I'm going to get rid of it, Lord. I'm going to kill it. You can't. So what I'm proposing to you is this. Your death is actually a work of God, not of you. He is the only one. Christ. You were crucified with Christ. And as a result of being crucified with him, when he rose from the dead with resurrection power, he has the authority to come into that space. Because you've already died to sin because of Christ. Christ is the one who can come in and sit and say, you know what? We are dying to this. Because I already have died to it. You've already died to sin. So that I can introduce resurrection power. He's going to get rid of some stuff in our life so that he can produce who he is. But only he can do it. Don't try. We want to do it again. Our natural disposition as people is always, let me try and die for Christ. He didn't ask you to do that. He didn't say, you die for me. What he said to you was, we need to die. What he's saying is, it's an invitation to come to me to sit and say, I can't get rid of this fear. I can't do it. I need you, Holy Spirit, to come into that place. I need you to take what Christ has accomplished for me. And I need for you to introduce me to what Christ offers me in place of that. I die to sin. I really have died to sin, but it's enforced in my life. So that all of a sudden what ends up happening is I can make room for Christ to move into that space. You can only have one king and one ruler. So if we want to make room for Christ, something's got to go. It's the gunk. It's all the stuff that's clogging up the odds and ends. You already have died. In Christ, you died. When he came in, he brought in his overcoming power. He resides on the inside of you. The whole point about having your mind renewed is he's sitting saying, I know there's ethanol gunk everywhere. Every time you walk into a space and you sit and say, I feel fearful about this. It's ethanol talking. Every time you move into a place and you sit and say, you know what, I, I feel a sense of reservation. I, 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 I'm cautious and I'm guarded. I don't feel like I, I can move. It's ethanol speaking. I don't know what my future looks like, but I, I suspect it's probably going to be pretty bleak and pretty dark, and I don't know whether the provision's going to be there for my... It's ethanol speaking. You don't have to go around with your finger on your pulse all the time, having a look at, is this in, is this out, is this out? Just live. Just live. 
You see, when the Holy Spirit came into your life when you were born again, the thing about it is he breathed his life on the inside of you. When Nicodemus went to Jesus, what did Jesus say to him? Jesus said, unless a man get born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? The reign and rule of Christ in your life. You see, when the reign and rule of Christ comes into your spirit, you get born again. But in getting born again, you get born again. What he's saying is it comes in once and for all and it's effectual for all things. But the spirit of life that came into you that was birthed on that day becomes the one who leads you and guides you. What is he doing? He's sitting saying, I'm here on an ethanol hunt. The life is on the inside of you. But you know what? When you move into some of those spaces and you come up with some of those thoughts that you're thinking, it's ethanol. And he's trying to wave a red flag at you sitting saying, okay, we need to do something in that space. Because when you take that space and you move that space, get born again in that space, you allow God to reign and rule in that space, you have a different perspective on things. You will see your situations differently. You'll see life differently. The only way that I can know the kingdom is I have to be in the kingdom. That's what he was saying. What he was saying was, it's not about our knowledge of God, it's about our experience of God. That's how you know the kingdom, when he reigns and rules on the inside of who we are. God loves you so much, and he wants you to know it. Every day. Here's your homework. I have to give you homework for the week. This is your homework. Every time you use the word I, okay, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to set off an alarm. Well, I think this. Well, I feel that. Well, I, 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 I. Okay, stop for a minute and sit and say, is that congruent with Christ? Because if it's incongruent, it puts me in a place where I'm in in balance. And it opens up the opportunity for me to sit and say, Holy Spirit, I don't want to live in this space. I don't want to live in this place. I need for you to come in and do something in that place. I need for you to overthrow the ruler that's sitting in there, and I need for you to introduce who is Christ and what does he look like in that space. That, in a very meaningful way, is how we move into an experience with who God is. You didn't know that the Holy Spirit was on a mission to remove gunk, did you? But that's what he's doing. When we talk about having our mind renewed, what we're doing is we're getting rid of all of the ethanol, all the stuff that's sitting in there. And it changes our paradigm on stuff. Can we all stand, please? Everybody, why don't you close your eyes? And just put your, put your hands out. Put your hands out. Father, what a wonderful group of people these are. And you love them even more than me. I want to thank you that you just love us so very much. You speak about the sparrows and how you keep your eye on them. And yet they're nothing compared to us. I thank you for the intimacy that you look for in our lives. To come into those spaces of our lives that we've left away from you.
and you're looking to redefine those places. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you'll just begin to work in each person's heart and in each person's life. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in and to point out those areas that have gunk in them. Jesus, we look to you as the author and the finisher of all things. We want to thank you that the good work that you've started within us, you'll be faithful to fulfill it. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to take those areas of our life and to reveal them to us. And as we submit in humility to you and invite you in, Holy Spirit, I want to thank you for revolutions that take place. I want to thank you for areas of, that, of people's lives that are being overthrown right now where the kingdom, the reign and rule of Christ is moving into those spaces. I thank you that it introduces us to the essence of who you are that redefines a reality that we live, something that we get to experience on an ongoing basis. The way that we get to experience who you are, experience your love and your interest and your concern for each one of us. Father, I just want to thank you for a week of blessing. A week of health. A week of purpose. And a week of stepping into destiny. In Jesus' name, amen.